I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. Hello, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, we explore the Appalachian Mountains. For those of you that are unfamiliar, these mountains are 1,500-plus miles of the deepest wooded mountainous areas from Newfoundland all the way down to Alabama. And in those woods are some strange and bizarre tales and creatures. Some have been told for hundreds of years. The first one is not so paranormal, but still out of place, and for now, unexplained. It's known as the Appalachian Black Panther. Now, according to modern science, there are no known species of black panthers. There are black jaguars and leopards, but even those are not known to exist in America's southeast, or in America for that matter. America does have its share of cougars. In fact, cougars, also called pumas or mountain lions, were so abundant in North America that when the settlers arrived in the 1500s, they were so feared that the cougars were hunted to near extinction. Although it should be noted that cougars aren't black, so what exactly is it that has been seen for hundreds of years that matches that description? And it's not just stories. In the 1800s, a settler named Emily Stacy shot and killed a black panther with her musket through her front door when it tried to get into her house. Also, in 1843, Sir William Jardine published a book about large cats called The Naturalist Library, Mammalia, Volume 1, Cats in which he described two specimens of black cougars that were supposedly killed in America and displayed in London back in the 1700s. Jardine even classified them as Felis Nigra, the black puma. Unfortunately, the bodies that were on display in London have since been lost to time. Now, it's not just the early settlers that have had run-ins with the Appalachian Black Panther. In fact, the cat has been seen very recently. Numerous reports all over the Appalachians are reported every year of people seeing or hearing the Black Panther. Though I don't know how they know it's a Black Panther and not a mountain lion if they're only hearing it, but still, a report is a report. Speaking of the sounds of a Black Panther, the reports are, and this is where the tale gets a little sketchy for me, is it doesn't sound like a mountain lion roar at all. In fact, it's said that the Black Panther's sound is like that of a woman screaming. But even without the crazy woman screaming stories, there are numerous stories of hunters seeing the large black cat and being so frightened they go home terrified. In fact, within the past five years, one hunter in Texas said he saw the black cat climb under a fence and he immediately left the area. The next day when he came back looking for tracks, he found a number of large cat-like prints and using 22 caliber bullets for scale, he traced the paw imprints, and it took him over 29 bullets to go all the way around the paw print. So some large cat is out there still, and based on the numerous eyewitnesses, it is a very large black cat. Now once again, science has said that there are no black panthers or black cougars in North America. The closest thing it could be is a jaguar, but they don't even think that the black jaguar has found its way up into America's southeast. Also lurking in the Appalachian woods is a more familiar creature to fans of cryptozoology. It's the Appalachian Bigfoot, or Yahoo, as it's known in that area. Yes, Yahoo. Named because it never uses Google. Oh, wait, sorry. Named because the sound it makes is an ear-shattering scream of Yahoo. But more ear-shattering and more of a scream than I just did. Now, it's not just the drunken hillbillies that have run into the Yahoo. The one and only Daniel Boone apparently encountered a group of Yahoos. He told tales of killing a 10-foot-tall hairy creature, but no body was ever seen for proof. I could leave the story just like that, but it should also be noted, one of Daniel Boone's favorite books 
was Gulliver's Travels, which had tall tales of large hairy creatures. Daniel Boone was a storyteller at heart. He loved to tell yarns of creatures that he had hunted and killed. So again, I don't believe that Daniel Boone ever killed or even seen a Yahoo, but it's been noted, so I wanted to pass that along. Now the Yahoo is a shorter cousin to Bigfoot, about eight foot tall with jet black hair. Yahoos have been seen for hundreds of years in the area and even recently captured on a trail camera. Now I've seen the photo and it does really look like a Bigfoot that's been seen on a trail cam. It's been said that the Yahoos are fiercely protective of their groups and of their area. So as if running into a Black Panther wasn't terrifying enough, there have been reports of hunters running into groups of Yahoos only to be chased away by the angry large creatures. And it also should be noted that the Appalachians are unique in a way that they don't have just one type of Bigfoot in them, but two. Well, sort of. The other one is a larger, seven to nine foot tall, wolf-like biped, known as the Dwayo, D-W-A-Y-Y-O. Instead of being ape-like like a Bigfoot is, the Dwayo are large werewolf-like creatures with large bushy tails and a nasty disposition, attacking cattle and dogs alike. The creature was first talked about in 1944 in West Middleton, Frederick County, Maryland. Witnesses heard the creature make frightful screams, and there were footprints attesting to the claims of the sightings. But it also has modern sightings. In November 1965, the Frederick News Post tells the tale of, quote, John Becker, quote, because that's not his real name. So the alias John Becker, who went out in his yard to investigate a strange sound, said he was walking around his house when a creature that was as big as a bear, it had long black hair, a bushy tail, and growled like a wolf or a dog in anger. As it got closer, though, it stood up on its hind legs and attacked him. Becker fought the creature until it ran into the woods, leaving him, his wife, and children in horror. Not surprisingly, he decided to remain anonymous under the alias John Becker when he filed a report with the local state police, telling of an attack by a mysterious monster that he called the Dwayo. So I'm not sure if he called it the Dwayo, if he knew about this creature from before, how that name got started, I'm not exactly sure. But later in 1978, two park rangers were near the Cunningham Falls area when they encountered a large hairy creature running on two legs. Now, even though most of the sightings happened in and around the woods in Maryland, the Dwayo has been making its way south, staying in wooded areas and scaring drivers and campers alike. In fact, there's been so many sightings of the Dwayo that I didn't want to keep putting them in here. I only chose a couple of them. The John Becker one, because it was a first-hand, really close-up attack, and the park rangers, because of their credentials. They've seen all types of animals in the area, so they knew what was around there. Yet, what they described was something that they had never seen before. Another wolf-like beast is also seen in the woods near South Mountain, Maryland, and it's called the Snarly Yow. And I swear to you, I'm not making these names up. It's also known as the Black Dog, or sometimes Dog Fiend. Those are horrible names. Reports of the creature mostly seem to revolve around a pass where the old national road cuts across a brook and a canyon. The creature doesn't seem to be an animal, but more of a phantom or a spectral beast, because it has the ability to change colors from black to white, as well as grow or shrink in size at will. Now, other reports claim that hunters who try to shoot him will find that their bullets will go right through it, while still others claim that the creature can phase through walls or trees. In colonial times, it was said that the creature would appear long enough to terrify horses until they threw their riders off in a panic, after which the beast would simply vanish. 
and now it does the same thing, but only in front of cars, after which the driver will swerve and crash trying to avoid what they see as a dog in the road. As soon as the driver gets out, they typically will see the fierce creature growl, bare its fangs at them, and then vanish. The snarly yowl also seems to enjoy simply chasing cars down the road for the fun of it, or frightening hikers in the area, sometimes reportedly planting itself in the path of a hiker and refusing to move, forcing the hikers to find an alternative route. And I can't blame those hikers, because if something like that appeared before me, I would find an alternative route right back home. Although it should be noted that the Snarly Yow has never been known to attack people. Well, that should just about do it for mysterious creatures, right? Nope. Let's move on to an even more bizarre creature. And it's known as the Snallygaster. And it's said to be like some sort of cross between a reptile and a bird with an alligator-like head equipped with fang-like beaks sharp, formidable talons, and if that wasn't bad enough, also a 25-foot wingspan. Appearances of the Snallygaster can be traced back to the 1730s, when German settlers of the area claimed to have been terrorized by a flying reptilian monster that they called a Schnellergeist, meaning quick spirit, because of its ability to silently descend upon prey with breathtaking speed, after which it would supposedly suck the blood from its victim. Sightings of the Snallygaster continued throughout the years, and it gained a good deal of coverage in February and March of 1909, when several news publications printed accounts of locals coming across a terrifying winged beast with claws-like steel hooks and an eye in the center of its forehead, as well as a screech that sounded like a locomotive whistle. Except for the eye in the center of its forehead, this creature really sounds to me like, like a pterodon, or a pterodactyl, so I'm wondering if it's something that's been left over from the Cretaceous period. Anyhow, the publicity reached such a frenzied pitch that the Smithsonian Institute actually offered a reward for the monster's skin, and the then U.S. President, Theodore Roosevelt, allegedly considered postponing an African safari so that he could hunt the Snallygaster. Even though it's a flesh-and-blood creature, there are some supernatural attributes associated with the Snallygaster such as the belief that a five-pointed star will keep it at bay. This belief was so prominent that some old country houses and barns in the area still sport images of five-pointed stars to this day. Interestingly, the Snallygaster and the Dweyu are said to be enemies, with occasional reports of the two creatures having vicious fights. So my advice, if you want to keep the Snallygaster away, I suggest walking around with the Dweyu, and vice versa. Besides mysterious creatures spotted in the forest, there are also stories out of the coal mines, quarries, and caves of the area. One story comes from Kentucky on December 26, 1945, when sadly there was a mine explosion, known as the Belva Mine Disaster. Survivors of the tragedy told an odd story in interviews with local papers. It was said that after the explosion, some of the trapped miners had seen a mysterious door suddenly open in the sheer rock wall of the mine, out of which stepped a mysterious figure that looked somewhat like a lumberjack or a telephone lineman, and he came from a well-lit room beyond. The weird entity reportedly told the miners that they would be all right, and then went right back into the secret room, after which the hidden door closed and disappeared as if it had never been there before. Now this story of a mysterious lumberjack entity isn't the only one. After another mine disaster in Shipton, Pennsylvania, the two survivors told of being rescued by strange men in odd clothes, who guided the miners with the mysterious blue glow. Now, in this particular instance, it was reported that wherever the figures touched the side of the mine, the stone walls would flicker to life with a shifting array of psychedelic, holographic images. 
When the miners were out of the dark depths and facing imminent rescue, the strange men who had helped them proceeded to creep back into the blackness from which they came, and the blue glow around them became fainter and fainter until they were out of sight. Both survivors gave identical stories even when questioned separately and insisted what they had seen was not a delusion nor a hallucination. I personally can't say what these people saw, but it does seem very sci-fi to me. It seems very Star Trek. It seems like a holodeck, and it seems like someone who's looking out for humanity's best interests. So I guess not all the creatures in the Appalachian are necessarily bad. And finally, yes, there is one more tale to tell from the Appalachians. And this one is not only verified, but it's equally as odd. This story starts in 1690, when French traders in the wilderness of southern Appalachia came across something very strange. Their expedition had hacked their way through very thick underbrush to emerge into a clearing that had a town of neatly lined up log cabins that was populated by olive-skinned people who had European features, beards, light hair, and blue eyes. Now these people spoke a very strange, broken form of Elizabethan English. The French explorers became convinced that they had found a group of displaced Moors who had colonized the New World. Over the years, further reports trickled in from the native people of the area describing mysterious, light-skinned people with strange customs living deep within the wilderness. But none of these tales were taken seriously. In fact, it wasn't until nearly a century after the French expedition's find that these tribe would be found again, this time by a Frenchman named John Xavier in the Newman's Ridge region in Upper East Tennessee. These people lived separately for nearly a 100 years. Now, when John Xavier found them, once again, the villagers had distinctly European features and spoke a form of broken English. They called themselves the Portuguese, or the Melungeons, and referred to each other with Anglo surnames. When asked of their origin and ancestry, they were unable or unwilling to reply. Now, this mystery was even more confounding by the fact that none of the tribe had any written records, and they also had a general aversion to discussing such matters. Much to the surprise of the explorers, these Melungeons got along peacefully with other native tribes of the area which were notoriously hostile to settlers. After they were found in the 1690s, they lived for another hundred years before they were found again. So when someone tells me that something like the Bigfoot can exist, here is a known fact tribe. The Melungeons are scientific fact. They're still around to this day. Now, theories abounded, ranging from the idea that they were a lost tribe of Israel to the theory that they were all the descendants of shipwrecked explorers or even the lost colony of Roanoke. Just a little heads up, I will be doing a story on the Lost Colony of Roanoke if you don't know it, but I have a feeling that pretty much everybody knows the story of Roanoke. In the end, the Melungeons, unfortunately, experienced a good deal of discrimination and segregation, and by the 19th century, they were designated as free persons of color, which effectively barred them from owning land, using public education, or voting. And that's a sad fact of history, that due to discrimination and hatred and bigotry, this peaceful tribe moved away from their ancestral land, and by the 20th century, only a scattered few still remained in the very remote corners of East Tennessee and Western Virginia. The Melungeons still exist to this day, living all over, and some still reside in the Appalachians. It's mostly agreed upon that they're a tri-racial, isolated group, most likely compromised of a mix of European, African, and Native American ancestry. But other than that, there's not much known for sure. There is a lack of hard evidence to prove anything, and DNA tests that have shown some link to Mediterranean peoples, but otherwise have proven inconclusive. 
So where the Melungeons came from, and how they came to settle in the Appalachians, is still a mystery waiting to be solved. And hopefully, with science's help, we'll one day get a clear answer of who they are and where they came from. I personally think it would be fascinating to find out that they were indeed the lost colony of Roanoke that had interbred with the Native Americans and settled into their own peaceful community. So what do you think? Which is the oddest thing to be seen in the Appalachian Mountains? I'm sure it's probably going to be the Snallygaster. I'm right there with you. But again, if you think about the Snallygaster as a physical creature, you get rid of some of the bizarre supernatural things that, that are always wrapped up in these tales and these legends. If you get rid of all of that, it could be just a lost remnant from the Cretaceous period. A pteranodon, a thunderbird as it was once called. There are many stories of pteranodons and pterodactyls in North America throughout the years. Some even seen to this day. We don't know what's still left out there. Like I just said, there was an entire tribe of people living in the woods that no one knew about for centuries. So again, if someone ever tells you that the Bigfoot can't exist, ask them to look up the Melungeons. So besides the Snallygaster, what do you think is real? And what do you think is crazy folklore? If you want to try and see anything mentioned on this week's edition, a good way to do it is to hike the Appalachian Trail, which stretches approximately 2,200 miles through wooded terrain from Springer Mountain in Georgia to Mount Katahdin in Maine. I'm sure I didn't pronounce that name right. I apologize. The trail is one of the longest in the United States, and who knows who or what you might run into. Now, before I end this episode, I want to give my first shout-out, and this one is to listener Lauren, who let me know that an upload was the wrong file, and thanks to her, I quickly got it fixed. So in return, this week's episode of Paranormal Almanac is brought to you by 8-Bit Spock. That's right, 8-Bit Spock. She has an amazingly cool assortment of patches, from Ghostbusters to the X-Files. I'm talking everything nerdy and awesome in between. So head on over to her Etsy shop. I'll have this on my Facebook page as well, but her Etsy shop is www.etsy.com slash shop slash 8, the number 8, bit, B-I-T, Spock, S-P-O-C-K. Once again, that's etsy.com slash shop slash the number 8, bit, Spock. And please buy something from her today. Just think how cool you'd look with the Lambda 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 patch from Revenge of the Nerds or a Steve Brule patch. Or if you're a Doctor Who fan like me, she has a couple of those as well. So again, thank you, Lauren, and thanks to everyone listening. Please head on over to Facebook and say hi, and click subscribe and give me feedback on iTunes, and be sure to go out and buy a patch from 8-Bit Spock. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Samvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. <laughs>